bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 13th, 2020. We at Novogratik have another news-filled podcast for you this week. But before diving into this week's news, I want to take a moment of personal privilege and address a tweet that President Donald Trump posted last week. In the tweet, President Trump said that a bill that was introduced in the Senate by Cory Booker would force low-income housing in the suburbs. And in the tweet, Trump claimed that encouraging low-income housing in suburbs would lower surrounding property values and bring crime into suburbs. Now, to unpack this tweet a bit, President Trump tweeted that former Vice President Joe Biden supports Senator Cory Booker's HOME Act. And the HOME Act would condition some federal transportation and community development block grant funding on state and local governments changing their zoning laws to encourage more affordable housing. Now, Trump's tweet perpetuates a common misconception about affordable housing, a misconception that once again needs to be addressed and corrected especially now as the country faces a worsening affordable housing crisis. It is important to keep the facts straight about how affordable housing affects neighborhoods and communities. To do this, I'm going to turn to an excellent report that was released by the Minnesota Housing Finance Agency Research and Evaluation Unit. The report covers the effects of affordable housing on communities and includes a section on the effects of affordable housing on surrounding property values, and a section on the effects of affordable housing on neighborhood crime, as well as a number of other effects, such as health and the like. I will provide a link to the report in today's show notes, and I'll tweet it out as well. So the short answer is that there is no direct link between low-income housing and property values or crime. As with most aspects of life, there are a variety of confounding factors. Now, the report as to affordable housing impact on crime states, and I'll quote it here, according to research by Himley Horner in 2009, the fear that affordable housing residents will bring crime ranks as one of the strongest perceived negative consequences of affordable housing projects. However, as Himley and Horner also note, these fears are typically based on emotional rather than factual arguments. Now, the report also de- deals with property values, as I noted, and I'll quote what it says about property values, or at least as an excerpt. Studies finding that affordable housing projects have negative, positive, or no impact on nearby property values are all common. The report goes on to state, the impact of a particular housing project depends on complex interactions between factors such as project scale, management type, and the characteristics of the neighborhood in which the project is located. Now, I do commend the Minnesota Housing Finance Agency Research and Evaluation Unit for releasing this report and making it available online. And I do encourage our listeners to take a moment to to review the report so you're better informed regarding the range of effects of affordable housing in neighborhoods and not fall into a very simplistic analysis. Now, let's turn to this week's podcast. I'll start with an update on when we expect to see the next round of COVID-19 relief legislation, or at least what discussions been occurring on that front. Then I'm going to discuss a couple of highlights from last week's vice presidential debate related to housing 
as well as renewable energy. And after that, I'm going to highlight two legislative proposals that could greatly assist affordable housing development and preservation. One is a recently introduced bill. The other are updated state-level statistics as to how much affordable housing the bill could provide or could finance. And then I'm going to close with news from HUD on what public housing authorities should know about regulations under the Housing Opportunity Through Modernization Act. So if you're ready, let's get started. Let's talk about COVID-19 and a possible additional relief bill. Last week was topsy-turvy regarding President Donald Trump's view of COVID-19 relief legislation and negotiations with the House. On Tuesday, October 6th, Trump tweeted, and here I quote, I have instructed my representatives to stop negotiating until after the election, when, immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill that focuses on hardworking Americans and small business. With that tweet, it appeared that President Trump had ended COVID-19 negotiations. Basically, they'd come to a halt until election, until the election results. But later that night, Tuesday night, President Trump again tweeted that he wanted a new round of $1,200 stimulus checks for Americans. He tweeted, and I quote, if I am sent a standalone bill for stimulus checks, $1,200, they will go out to our great people immediately. I'm ready to sign right now. So this made it appear that Donald Trump wanted limited, targeted COVID-19 relief legislation as opposed to none before the election. And then part and parcel with it being a topsy-turvy tweet week. On Friday afternoon, President Trump tweeted that COVID-19 relief negotiations are, and I quote, moving along, end quote, which obviously implies that he has reversed his course and he actually wants to quote another part of his tweet to go big with COVID-19 relief legislation before uh, the election. And then again this morning, Tuesday morning, Trump tweeted, and I quote, stimulus, exclamation point, go big or go home, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. So what all this means as to the progress and timing of COVID-19 relief legislation before the election is unclear. Now, I note that the election is three weeks from today. I also note when you look at the White House, a spokesperson from the White House last Thursday said that the White House supports a limited package, direct payments to individuals, presumably the $1,200 per person that Trump tweeted about last Tuesday, as well as an extension of the Paycheck Protection Program and a stimulus for the airline industry. And then after Thursday on Sunday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, in communicating with her caucus in the House, sent a letter saying that a nearly $1.9 trillion offer that she had received from Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin provided inadequate funding and had no plan for testing, tracing, and treatment of the coronavirus, such that she was rejecting it. And then on Sunday, last Sunday as well, White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow said that Treasury Secretary Mnuchin may, I quote, may offer a larger stimulus proposal than the $2.2 trillion measure unveiled by the House of Representatives in September. 
and admits the House and the White House going back and forth, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that he thinks it's unlikely that a coronavirus stimulus agreement could be reached before the November 3rd election. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, clearly, details of negotiations are still up in the air. I will continue to share updates on Twitter as they become available. You can follow me on Twitter through my looking at my handle, which is at Novogratik. Next, I have a follow-up on the vice presidential debate last week. I listened to the debate for any mentions of affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, or renewable energy. Now, there was no lengthy discussion of affordable housing, but Senator Kamala Harris did briefly mention that nearly half of American renters are worried about being able to pay rent by the end of the month. But on the renewable energy side, there was a longer discussion about energy production. And Senator Harris said that the Biden infrastructure plan includes investing in clean energy and renewable energy with the goal of achieving net zero emissions by 2050 and being carbon neutral by 2035. And in case you've wondered, Biden's website does outline a year one legislative plan on climate change, which does include the use of tax credits. This is a good time for me to remind you that Novogratz's Blue Wave Effects Special Election Report does go into more detail about the Biden plans for renewable energy, as well as affordable housing, community development, and historic preservation. This report looks at how a democratic sweep in the election could affect tax incentives, regulations, and more. If you haven't downloaded the report yet, please go to www.novogratz.com to purchase a copy. And if you're a Novogratz client, well, then the Blue Wave Effects Report is free. Simply contact your Novogratz partner for a copy. In affordable housing news, a bill was introduced in the House that could be great news for public housing. The bill is titled the Support Allowing Volume Exception for Federally Assisted Housing Act, or H.R. 8533. This bill would allow private activity bonds that are used to finance the preservation of public housing and other federally assisted buildings to be exempt from a state's private activity bond volume cap. This legislation is intended to address an estimated $70 billion in critical preservation recapitalization needs for public housing. As we've discussed previously in this podcast, states are experiencing more and more demand for private activity bonds. Private activity bonds are a crucial resource for affordable housing preservation and rehabilitation. These bonds are eligible to be paired with 4% low-income housing tax credits. However, Bond volume caps in each state limit the amount of productivity bonds that can be used to address the affordable housing shortage. This bipartisan bill has strong support among affordable housing advocates. It works by basically letting all those bonds that are used for the public and federally assisted housing to not count against this limit such that more bonds can be issued and more housing could be financed, more housing can be preserved and produced. I'll include a link to the bill in today's show notes. And as a reminder, this bill and other affordable housing issues will be discussed at the Novogratic 2020 Tax Credit Housing Finance Virtual Conference being held December 3rd and 4th. I'll include a link to register for the conference in today's show notes. So let's stay on the topic of affordable housing and talk about another bill. Last Thursday, my partner Dirk Wallace and my colleague Peter Lawrence published a blog post that analyzes how much additional housing could be financed through the Moving Forward Act, 
and how much that additional housing being financed would mean for each state. Now, as a quick reminder, the Moving Forward Act, or HR2, is a $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan that was passed by the House in July. The legislation includes provisions such as establishing a permanent 4% low-income housing tax credit floor, reducing the 50% test for private security bond-financed housing temporarily, and more. Several Senate Finance Committee Democrats, including ranking member Ron Wyden of Oregon, introduced Senate Bill 4078. Senate Bill 4078 is the companion bill to H.R. 2's low-income housing tax credit provisions. And you may recall a September blog post that discussed how provisions of H.R. 2 could finance more than 1 million additional affordable rural homes from 2020 to 2030. Well, this new blog post, it expands on the potential effects of the Moving Forward Act and analyzes how the projected rental homes might be distributed by state. Now, in determining these estimates for each state, Novogratz took into account the differing effects of each provision in the states. For example, the number of rental homes that could be financed by HR2 in Alabama is 7,300, while the estimated number of rental homes that could be financed in California is 149,400. Now, again, these estimates are based on the state population, amount of low-income housing tax credits available, and estimated construction costs and other factors. Now, the five states that would see the largest increase are California, Texas, Georgia, Florida, and New York. Passage of the Moving Forward Act would finance much-needed affordable housing rental stock across the country. Now, the recent blog post also includes estimates as to how production of housing could also create meaningful jobs, increase wages, and business income, and expand local and state tax bases. For example, the additional housing production in California could create nearly 226,000 jobs in California. As our country still faces the COVID-19 pandemic and its effects, the production of jobs and additional housing could help states handle the long-term fallout from the pandemic. Now, H.R. 2 is unlikely to be considered in the Senate in the bill's entirety. Some provisions, though, could be included as part of COVID-19 relief efforts. I'll include a link to the blog post in today's show notes. According to other news, HUD last week published a proposed rule that will be of interest to public housing authorities and those who work with them. HUD proposes to modify and clarify issues in the Housing Opportunity Through Modernization Act of 2016 commonly referred to as HOTMA. As you remember, HOTMA was legislation that streamlined parts of HUD's rental assistance programs. The proposed changes affect requirements and regulatory language for both the Housing Choice Voucher Tenant-Based Program and the Project-Based Voucher Program. There are a lot of proposed changes, including some inspection requirements and formalizing definitions for many terms. And if you are with the Public Housing Authority and have any questions, I'd encourage you to call my partner, Rich Larson, in our Tom's River, New Jersey office to sort out which provisions could apply to you. I'll include Rich's contact information in today's show notes. Comments on the proposal, though, are due to HUD by December 7th. If you're interested in submitting a comment letter and have any questions, reach out to Rich about that as well. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. In closing, I am happy to announce that the 2020 edition of the Novogradic Historic Rehabilitation Handbook is now available. This updated resource includes new sections about the CARES Act, COVID-19 Relief Bill, 
about how to combine historic tax credits with the Opportunity Zones incentive, and much, much more. If you work in historic preservation, be sure to have this handbook at your disposal. Have it at your side. You can purchase the handbook at www.novaco.com products. I'll also include a purchase link in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.